This is Coach Lee, and you're listening to The Door Report. On today's episode of The Door Report, powered by Alaco Finewood Floors, we're joined by Adam Giardino, the voice of the Yukon Huskies, as we preview Vanderbilt and Yukon coming up this Saturday night, 6.30 p.m. Central Time kickoff there in Nashville on ESPNU. Can Vanderbilt right the ship and bounce back after the 62-0 loss last weekend to the Georgia Bulldogs? Meanwhile, can the Yukon Huskies get their first win of the season? Lots of storylines heading into Saturday's game, good or bad, but we'll be watching no matter what. We've got all that and much more coming right up here on The Door Report, powered by Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Let's ride. You're listening to The Door Report, the premier Vanderbilt podcast for fans who believe black and gold. Commodore Nation. Anchor down. Welcome into the door report. It is episode 111, 111 here, uh, September 30th, 2021. One more day until we're in October. It's it's already fall in Nashville. I know it's feeling like fall where you are, Will, but uh, down here in Florida, not quite yet. I don't think we'll ever get that fall season, but um, you know we're looking forward to it, uh, of course, because this is the the meat of the schedule coming up at at least after this UConn game for Vandy. Uh, we'll touch on that. Uh, we are always powered by Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Will, it's 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 time to preview UConn again. We uh, this may be the most most lack of information on a vis on a on a visiting team here again in, a, in an opponent preview. Uh, but we'll we'll do our best uh, to preview UConn, and then we'll go through some of Clark Lee's uh, presser comments earlier this week, and then we'll uh, be checked in by Adam Giardino, the voice of the Huskies. He'll he'll uh, come on uh, the pod here uh, later in the in the episode. But Will, it's uh, it's UConn week, and uh, this should be. I think some crazy stuff could happen Saturday night. Let's just say that. I mean, all you need to know about this game is that it is garnering an unbelievable amount of national attention. It's trending. And, and for absolutely not the reason that Vanderbilt hoped. And I don't think the Missouri game last year that garnered a lot of national attention went too well, uh, no. if, if I'm remembering that one correctly. Yeah, I don't so think so. Hopefully this one can play out better. And, and pretty much everything you need to know is in one headline from the Washington Post. And it says, everything you need to know about Vanderbilt, Connecticut, 21 sorriest college football game. Oh, and that's a headline on the Washington Post. So that, that pretty much summarizes um, what the national media is covering this game as right now. Yeah, I think a lot of people will be watching just for some of the memes that might develop uh, from this game and just some of the, the craziness. Because going through each of these teams' schedule, they have been some of the more unpredictable teams in the country. I mean, UConn lost 45 nothing to Fresno State, and then they come back last week and lose by two to a, an undefeated Wyoming team. I will say, don't, don't, don't be hating on Fresno State out there. They're seven points away from being ranked close to the top ten. If they, if Fresno, they Fresno is a good team. Fresno good, State's a good, good team. team. They're, they're way Way better ones to point to there. So. Army, let's go with. Had to Army. give some respect to the Bulldogs out there. There we go. <laughs> I'm sure you so, bet on yeah. them and uh, and had some success, but uh, we'll see uh, what we get this Saturday night. Again, we'll uh, we'll go through some of Clark Lee's presser comments, but before we get to all that, um, let's discuss our uh, social media at door underscore report on Instagram at door under uh, at door dot report. Um, 
on Instagram, door underscore report on Twitter. Wow, that was a mess. Uh, like us, really. like us on Facebook. Everyone knows it anyway. Like <laughs> us on Facebook. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Our podcast is available on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And while you're at it, give our podcast five stars and a review on iTunes. All right, let's preview UConn. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Alumni Hall is the go-to shopping destination for Vanderbilt gear. Stop into their Brentwood location at the Hill Center or shop online at alumnihall.com forward slash Vanderbilt dash Commodores. A special 10% discount is awarded to students and military members. Plus, all year round, Alumni Hall carries brands like Nike, Johnny O, Champion, Yeti, and much more. Even better, with an excellent selection of women's fashion, Alumni Hall is the one-stop shop for the whole family. Help support Vanderbilt Athletics by purchasing your black and gold gear from the Alumni Hall. Stop by their store in Brentwood at the Hill Center or log on to alumnihall.com forward slash Vanderbilt dash Commodores. As always, Will, it's the last day of our promo here. We will uh, have a new one next week with Alumni Hall, uh, of course, with the home game coming up on Saturday. Uh, your last chance to receive a free gift with your purchase of $50 or more. You'll have the option of choosing between Vandy pint glasses or slim can koozies for your game day. Drink of choice in Vandyville. It's only valid in store, so don't forget to stop by. You'll have until kickoff 6.30 Central Time there in Nashville, 201 Franklin Road in Brentwood inside the Hill Center. That's where their location is. Their doors are open from 10 a.m. to 9 p.m., so don't forget to stop in before Vandy at UConn on Saturday. Will, let me ask you real quick. Will you be at Vanderbilt Stadium Saturday night? So I have a conflict, and I'm still 50-50. Oh, so if this game, if they had beaten ETSU week one, it would be a lot easier of a decision for me. I would be not attending the UConn game. I have you a seem to be turning graduate, back to that ETSU I have a game graduate, a Yes, I have a graduate <laughs> event in Cookville at my Tennessee Tech where I went that I'm supposed to be going to, but I have not seen a win in person from Vanderbilt since 2019 against ETSU. And I have not seen a win against an FBS opponent in person in a long, long time. So that is really weighing in that, into that decision. And I, and I might have to release an update uh, on that decision. So I'm so, not 100% committed yet. I'll have to pick the hat maybe on a, live on Twitter. There's some incentive for you, though, Will. It, it could happen on Saturday. Vanderbilt, uh, who knows? With, this, with the unpredictability of this team, uh, you never know what's going to happen. But let's get into it, Will. Uh, this is... I think we, we kind of look forward to this preview, not again, for any amazing reason. It's just the fact that these quite frankly are two of the worst teams in the country. I mean, you can't put it any other way. UConn 0 and 5 Vanderbilt one and three. And I think we point to that reason because the, the way these teams have lost, I mean, 45, nothing to Fresno state. I know Fresno is a really good team. UConn also got bludgeoned by army Vanderbilt, you know, we, we, we know that we know the situation there, but with this matchup, I think it's somewhat surprising that Vanderbilt's a 14 and a half point favorite. Um, I, I guess that's Vegas saying, Hey, we, we like Vanderbilt here in the matchup at home with UConn having to travel and you know, the way Vanderbilt lost last week. Um, but will, this is, this is a game where Vanderbilt, 
is is facing an inferior opponent and we ha- we have not been able to say that very very much this season and you know we we were able to say it against ETSU we weren't able to say that after the game i think you know you could still you could still say Vanderbilt was the more talented team in that game but will heading into this one it's it's i don't know, is it a get right game i mean how do you, how would how do you describe this game this game is a game that Vanderbilt should come out and win by more than two touchdowns. They should win this game when you look at the talent differential between Vanderbilt and UConn. And we cannot say that very often. I don't think we could say that about Vanderbilt versus ETSU. I think there is a bigger talent gap between UConn and Vanderbilt than there was between Vanderbilt and ETSU. And that's just based, that's not my opinion. That's based on the 24-7 composite recruiting rankings. Mm-hmm. UConn, we always point back to those and we always reference those throughout the year. Our main man, Barton Simmons, used oh, to yeah. be on top of those. And UConn was, did not have one nationally ranked recruit. They don't have one on their roster that they recruited into UConn. They don't have one that is actually nationally ranked. They have some three stars, so I'm not saying that they don't have anyone. Mm -hmm. But they did not even have a nationally ranked recruiting class in 2018 or 2019. There was no rank average recruiting uh, rating of 0.79. Vanderbilt, for example, that we always talk about recruiting in the basement of the SEC has to get better, is usually around that 0.85 range, 0.8475. And that's a huge difference. In the previous year, in 2017, UConn was ranked 101st in the country nationally so this is not my opinion vanderbilt has twice the talent basically because they're consistently worst case in that upper 50s lower 60s range of the recruiting rankings and those are not people always point to three stars and no stars that come out and perform great and i'm not saying that that every single player is graded accurately on that site what i'm saying is as a composite across the board when you look at team roster talent recruited in it's pretty damn accurate uh, for yeah. predicting how good these teams are going to be. And Vanderbilt's team is just better. And and that's where most of our keys are going to go is utilizing the superior talent. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Will. At Vanderbilt, they, they, they're, they're extremely more talented than UConn. It, it, I don't think you can argue that point. Um, again, they were more talented than ETSU, but I agree. The gap is bigger here with UConn at Vanderbilt than it was in Vanderbilt at ETSU. Um, and, and Will, just a few notes here before we get into some of the deeper details. This is the fourth ever meeting between these two teams. And, you know, Bobby Johnson, of course, had some matchups with him. We saw Robbie Caldwell matchup. Um, Robbie. The, la- the last Commodore victory during – uh, James Franklin's first season was in, in 2011. So that was uh, the last time Vanderbilt beat UConn. Vandy also won in 2002 while Clark Lee was on the team. And uh, Jay Cutler actually threw, uh, I think he ran it, ran in the game when he touched down in that game. Um, but Will, an, another game, UConn, they, they roll in here riding a nine-game losing streak. They, they, we talked about it. They've lost to Fresno by 45, Holy Cross by 10, Purdue by 40. 50 nearly army by 31 and wyoming by two last week and they didn't even play a season last year they're now an independent team um and i think that the way this program's going I, talking to adam giardino he said there's some optimism um which i think was you know interesting to say the least because you know they have a, a an interim head coach right now but you know they're nine and 44 in their last 53 games so um, this is, I, I hate saying it, but for a, a team playing under an interim head coach, weird things you've seen before can happen. Well, we didn't see any victories last year out of Todd Fitch in the interim role, but, um, it's always interesting and kind of dicey going up against those interim head coaches and Lou Spanos has a pretty uh, distinguished career. There's a, he's, he's about 50 years old and he's, he's a big time defensive coach. So we know what can happen sometimes, sometimes will with, with those interim head coaches. 
Yeah, the the last thing I wanted to see, Billy, was them compete and almost come out and get a victory against Wyoming and play yeah. above their heads and Wyoming come out and play poorly. That was absolutely in my <laughs> nightmares. What I and great. I'm like, here they coming are here building hot. up perfect, building up confidence right before <laughs> Vanderbilt coming off the sixty two to nothing loss. So just leading up to an ideal matchup. But going in to that Wyoming game. This is where I think Vanderbilt is getting lumped in just because of that loss to ETSU. Because Vanderbilt has a victory against another FBS opponent yeah. on the road this season. Vanderbilt's getting lumped in to this battle of the worst matchup ever. Yeah. Vanderbilt doesn't, it, they are bad. And I'm not meaning to say that they are ranked higher in these SP plus rankings of analytical data and wins and quality plays. Right. But UConn is the worst team in the history of college football, according to these rankings going to that Wyoming game. I'm not saying that as a fact. some hyperbolic, hyperbolic statement. It was 1912 Samford, 1932-37 Wofford, 1925 Erskine-Erskine, 1926 Erskine were the 14,381st ranked team, and 14,382 is 2021 UConn. Wow. So that that wow. they are literally the worst team in the history. And those are teams. Of that, those are teams like Sanford and Wofford. Those are D one. I mean, you know, so those are those are technically basically D1. what I'm getting at is this is a lot of pressure on Vanderbilt and Clark Lee because there's going to be eyes on this game and they need to make a statement. Yes, we are down and we are rebuilding right now. But we are moving. We, we are not UConn. We are not on this level yes. of embarrassment, <clears throat> embarrassingly bad. Yes, we lost 62 to nothing to Georgia, but that was the number two team in the country. And granted, Fresno State is pretty good this year. That wasn't Fresno State. So right. this is a get right game, Billy. I think you hit right on it in the intro. Yeah. And Will, saying this is a must win game is an understatement. You know, we, we can't oh, yeah. we can't say that enough. And, and just like I was very intrigued to see how Vandy would respond against Colorado State following that ETSU performance. I kind of feel the same way heading into this week with the UConn matchup. Now it's a little bit different. You're getting bludgeoned uh, by Georgia, but again, this is a massive opportunity for Vanderbilt to come out and just obliterate UConn. And, and, and you know, we talked about it last episode, but I'm not saying they can prove much to, to anyone with this win, you know, but it, I think it'll prove more to themselves and, and, and it'll give them some confidence. And like I said, last podcast, it may not mean much, you know, to the outside perspective, but it'll mean, you know, it'll tell me that this team isn't giving up on the season, and you know they they're they they want to do everything they can to to show signs of improvement at this point yeah. in the season. So this is this is the comparison that I want to use here, and follow me down this path, Billy, um, because there's not a ton of analytical breakdown we're going to be doing. So it's no. kind of the overarching meaning of this game. So. It, when Vanderbilt had the, made the decision to bring Sarah Fuller on and become the first female player to play a snap in college football leading up to Missouri, Vanderbilt was being made fun of on a national stage and across social media. I'm not getting into the details of that, but I'm saying they were being made fun of and people were watching for the wrong reasons, making fun of Vanderbilt. They went into that game, didn't even give her an opportunity to kick an extra point or a field goal, got dominated 38-0 by Missouri, and more eyes were on them. They were already making fun of the state of Vanderbilt football, and then they came out and proved all the haters correct. And that was the final nail in Derek Mason's coffin. And that was what that embarrassment on the national stage for the wrong reasons is, is what sent him packing. This game is the same idea. Vanderbilt cannot come out and have a poor performance. There are going to be a lot of eyes on the outside that Vanderbilt needs to prove that they can come out 
and take on an inferior, terrible opponent and dominate and say, and they're going to be, you said it, it's internal, a lot of pressure. That's very true. There is, this does mean a lot internally, but I think this game on the national stage is the most important game of the season. I know that sounds dumb, but if Vanderbilt goes two and 10 and dominates UConn, you're like, okay, this season was a disappointment, but you know, maybe we're moving in the right direction. We have some tight losses moving down the stretch. If Vanderbilt comes out and squeaks by and or loses to UConn on this national stage, I think the rebuilding process is back to square one. This season is a, a complete bust. You basically, you're going to lose recruits. This is a huge, huge game. And I know people are going to make fun of that as, as being a Vanderbilt, following Vanderbilt football. But this is the kind of game that Vanderbilt has to build on and move forward in in the future. Yeah, I mean, I could I completely agree. Um, you know, I think I think what the the nation is is not looking at this game, like you said, for for to see if Vanderbilt's going to mm-hmm. win or to see if UConn's going to win. They're looking at this game to laugh and, and post yep. memes on Twitter and and. You know, so I, I think what I was what I was trying to get at is that hey, Vanderbilt could win 35-7, 35-10. I, I still don't think that. I, I think that okay, you know, they beat UConn, um, but I, I still Vanderbilt has to do more. You know, they, they have to do more than just beat the worst team in the country um, at this point in the season. So, um, you know, I, I just think this it's I, it's a big game. You know, we we can we both agree actually, on that. Billy, I, I do want to say something on that. I was looking at those rankings after that UConn game or after the uh, Wyoming game for UConn. UConn is no longer the worst team wow. in college football. They're 129. It's New Mexico State actually has that title in honor right now after wow. UConn's performance last so week. So the second worst team, second the UConn Huskies. That's yes. who Vanderbilt is, is going up against here. Well, let's uh, let's roll on here. We I know we uh, we got. I want to get to some of Clark Lee's uh, comments because he he said uh, I think some pretty eye popping things. And and you know we talk about him being brutally honest. He he was this week. And uh, but will one more note. Bresnahan is fully healthy. Uh, it, we'll see how much he's involved. Uh, we thought, I think the same thing last week, but you know, he wasn't on the field much. Uh, I think that was more of, Hey, let this is Georgia. Let's not, let's try to savor him for, you know, some of these other sec games down the schedule. Um, but you know, at, at this point, will Vanderbilt needs all the help they can get, especially offensively. Uh, so I think having Bresnahan healthy is, is, you know, a little bit of a, of an added push because, you know, they, no film has been put out on him this year. You know, it's tough for UConn to prep for him, you know? Yeah, he turned into a pretty consistent target for Ken Seals, and I feel like he definitely missed him against a team like Georgia, kind of a safety valve. Yeah. And you've also – and also, you know, you had lost your safety valve there with Ramon Davis out of the backfield, and not that Rocco Griffin has performed poorly in the role. He's actually performed above my expectations and done a, done a pretty good job, I would say. Mm-hmm. But he's just not the pass catcher out of the backfield that Ramon Davis was. And then you combine that with losing Kinsale's other safety valve target and mm-hmm. Bresnahan. It also just makes it easier for other teams to focus on Cam Johnson on the inside, running a lot of those slant routes and drag routes when they're not as afraid. When you really only have one tight end, you can feel confident is going to go out into a pattern and Schoenwald. When you can when you can add Bresnahan to that, even though Schoenwald's strength is not, you know, going out going right. out and catching deep balls or anything. When you have to account on a two tight end set for both of these guys can potentially go out on routes and make a play. That changes a lot and makes the defense account for a lot more and can open up the passing game a little bit. So that that's something to look for in this UConn game. I, I think what we realize with this offense, Will, is Cam Johnson is he's known by other like he, he's he's Vanderbilt's guy and Stanford locked him up. You know, mm-hmm. and so I think with Brett Bresnahan coming back now, I think that could open some things up for him potentially. Um, but, you know, if Vanderbilt's offense is, is when Cam Johnson's shut down, 
it's kind of like, all right, where do we go? Because, you know, you also got Chris Pierce on the outside, but that's not as it's not as I don't think it's as easy to, to you know, go deep to, to, to Chris Pierce. You know, you can try that, but teams can also lock Whoa. that down. So it, it, it's an interesting scenario when Cam Johnson's being locked down. Attacking the middle with Cam Johnson, it's kind of the chicken and the egg. It, it, attacking the middle with him opens up the outside for Chris Pierce. Right. So what opens up what there? And I think just having Bresnahan just opens up everything for everybody. Yeah, yeah, so I, I think that'll be a lot bigger of coming back than people are thinking. Yeah, it clears up a little bit more space in the middle, I, you know, especially mm -hmm. for Bresnahan. And, you know, Schoenwald's not necessarily the, the best passing or pass catching tight end. You know, he's a uh, pretty reliable blocker, but we'll see what uh, Bresnahan's able able to do this Saturday. Well, I, I want to get to four quotes. I want to try to run through this as quick as you can and get kind of your, your two cents on each one. Um, first one is on responding after the loss to Georgia. Coach said there's a bounce back spirit in the building. This belief in what we can do and the energy and enthusiasm towards what this program is capable of hasn't waned at all. Um, now, you know, I, I don't know how much of how much you think of that as as coach speak, but it does seem like he he how much how am I trying to put this? It seems like Clark is 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 doing a decent job of, of trying to keep these guys focused and, and trying to trying to make sure that, okay, yes, we lost 62, nothing to Georgia, but we have a huge game coming up Saturday against UConn. And, you know, that, that's, that's whatever good coach should do. But uh, you know, I thought that said a little bit. Yeah. The, the main thing I point back to as well in the Mason era, because we talk about it pretty negatively, but in general, the Derek Mason era was pretty successful when you compare it to what as a whole. Yeah. yeah, as a whole, he was, I think we're going to look back in 20, 25 years and say, you know, Derek Mason was a pretty good time to be a Vanderbilt football. Fan. <laughs> yeah. So in, in general, and I, we're not feeling that way now because of how it ended, but you can point back to some of the rumors that were swirling around after the loss to Alabama um, when basically he came in and shit on the team in the locker room for getting beat 59 nothing and and that what happened during that game right. by, by a completely superior Alabama team so I hopefully from the quotes it feels like Clark Lee's trying to do the opposite of that where yes. you saw you saw kind of a turn um after that 3-0 start from that team and they were really just never the same mm -hmm. after after that loss so yeah. hopefully that is not what we will see and it seems like Clark Lee's taking a little bit different of an approach yeah and Vanderbilt didn't necessarily respond well after that Alabama loss it seemed like yeah. they were I mean they lost all you know physicality and the swagger and, yeah the they swagger lost, they, is what they lost they lost that swagger that they had so now after this loss to to uh, to Georgia, let's see how how Coach Lee and this team respond. You know, let, give them a shot, give them a shot to uh, to prove themselves because they've got a lot of time. So, well, number two, Ken Seals. Uh, he, this was one of the more interesting quotes I think. He said, "In quote, Ken's hard on himself. He's a competitor, and I think that can lead to him tightening up at times. I think when he's tense, sometimes play speeds up for him a little bit. I thought that happened to him on Saturday against Georgia. The first quick gain we throw, he was thrown off his back foot, and there's no rush there." I just think he was speeding up his process when the throw and catch were there for him to just take a normal delivery. I thought that was spot on. I mean, that, that was what, that's what we've been saying a lot about Ken Seals. You know, he, he's especially against ETSU where he seemed to have tightened up a little bit. But when Ken, when Ken gets comfortable and gets into a rhythm, he's, he's a pretty dangerous quarterback. I mean, if you get him into a rhythm – and, and especially with those quick slant routes, now the receivers have to be open, of course. But, you know, he, he's such a – I like to call him kind of a fragile guy because not physically, but, but the way he plays, you know, if, if say he's very streaky. That's what I'm trying to say about Ken. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much 
what this whole season has been in Ken Seals throughout the last year, you see flashes of what Ken Seals can be. And you see mm-hmm. flashes of even this season. And I know it sounds dumb to say, and when you take it out of context here, but you've seen flashes this season as well of what this offense can be. You saw it against Stanford uh, for about 1.75 quarters. You saw it for, against Colorado State for about 1.75 quarters. So you've seen about, what, three and a half quarters of, yeah. out of four games of what this offense can do. And everything else has been pretty bad. So, and that accounts for the stats for the entire season, pretty much. So if they can somehow bottle that up and Ken Seals can just play loose, because it feels like one, two, three passes, and you just, once they get a couple of those, you're like, okay, this drive's going all the way down the field. Yeah. But the first, it passes incomplete, and just call it. It's a three and out. <laughs> so it's very it's very odd when he gets the confidence, gets rolling. Um, they seem to move the ball yeah. effortlessly up and down the field, and then some switch flips, and then they can't even pick up a first down. It's kind of so, like it's kind of like John Jenkins when he played basketball. You know, if he wasn't on, the team was usually struggling. But when you know, I'm not comparing Ken Seals to John Jenkins. I was about to say and, John and Jenkins dynamic. is the best best shooter I've ever right. seen. <laughs> but you know, we we say streaky a lot in basketball. I think I think streaky can apply in football too, especially mm-hmm. at the quarterback uh, position. Well, we got to go quickly here with these last two on the play calling versus Georgia. Uh, coach said, look, we have to strengthen our protection in the O-line. That, that's, you know, we know that. Uh, mm-hmm. He said, I know Coach Blazik is working hard on that. I thought in the Georgia game we got on our heels, and I thought we got on our heels both in terms of play but also our play calling. We have to fight that so that we can get some vertical stretch going in our offense. The answer for us isn't going to be just hand inside zone off and win. It has got to be more creative than that, and there has to be an element in our game where we're willing to go up top for the ball. I mean, did he, I, think, uh, listen, I think that's did he what listen you said. To our, uh, did he listen to our <laughs> recap? I think Clark Lee's actually listening because he literally said inside zone there in that quote. So maybe Clark's he listened to my, he listened to my tangent. Pod. Yeah, friend of the that's, pod. So. I, I go back to, that's what, I mean, mostly you, but we've both been harping on for That for this quote entire... right there, that quote right there, Clark, you, you've, you've bought yourself a little bit more. You brought me back in even a little bit more with yeah. that quote because he actually addressed and said that there were scheme and play calling issues and then addressed the issue that I have been harping on and Vanderbilt fans have been very annoyed with throughout this whole year. He directly addressed it. You don't see that, see that a lot, even calling out the exact type of play. So that, that is something that I really do like to see. And as a Vandy fan, if you can't see that honesty and that taking the blame for it, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, I mean, you know, he, it's this guy, of course, there's a lot, there, there's a lot that you can look at and, and say, yeah, you know, coach Lee, that ETSU loss unacceptable. Um, but right now, you know, he, he's taken, he's taken the blame for a lot of this and along with his staff. So will number four um, on motivating his team, this was an, a question that Chris Lee asked. I thought it was great uh, in the presser. Uh, he said, end quote, I don't believe in unhealthy motivation. We don't like to yell and scream and cuss at our players to get them to do one thing at a time. We want to win the hearts and minds of our team. And again, we do that by being direct and honest and spirited. And Will, that kind of touches to his philosophical approach to the game of football and, and saying, yeah, we're, we're not going to be some rah-rah coaching staff that is chewing out our players and grabbing their face mask and pulling them out towards us. Um, you know, we're going to try to build trust with them and say, hey, we, don't ha- may, we may not have to say as much, uh, but we just rely on them and we trust that they're going to do what they're supposed to do. So uh, that's, again, that, that – that quote right there screams Clark Lee. I mean, that, that's. I mean that that just sounds like basically what he's saying is I'm going to treat these guys like professionals. It right. is basically what he's saying, which I think can be a pretty good recruiting pitch, and I think where coaching is going, just because 
I, I don't want to sound like an old man on the podcast, but I don't know if <laughs> the coaching, the, the, old, the yeah, I'm the old man right now, but <laughs> the, the old style of coaching, even in high school, you've seen it shift a little bit. Um, even in the last 10 years or so, just the younger generation of recruits with social media mm-hmm. being so hard, be, being able to access and speak yep. out about coaches they don't like and seeing clips of from games of coaches yelling at players. I think that style of coaching is going to slowly fall by the wayside. Yeah. And I think the style of even in college treating these in quotations kids like professionals, because now you have the NIL deals, they are professionals now, that you are not gonna be screaming at them like they're a child, that you are expected to do this how you're supposed to do. Now that's probably a little bit riskier because mm-hmm. uh, it allows for more more wiggle room for the players. But here we go. I guess we're we going go. to see uh, I guess we're going to yeah. see how the, how it works yeah. out in this UConn game. With the NIL, well, I think you are kind of looking at kind of a minor league system now for, mm-hmm. for the NFL. I mean, that's basically what college football has been at least in the SEC, you know, for the most part, but uh, for for the around the country, NIL again, we we had a whole episode on that with Bruno, but um, well, let's get into our prediction. We don't even have ours written down on the script right now, but uh, for me, I, I haven't had a, a ton of time to think about it, but I'm going to go with – I don't think Vanderbilt – I just I, – again, with the offense, I want to see them put up points first, you know, and I know it's UConn. I'm going to go Vanderbilt 21, UConn 13. I think Vanderbilt's defense plays well. I think they score a few touchdowns. I don't think they're going to light up the scoreboard, but I think Vanderbilt defeats UConn 21-13 simply because, you know, this, this is the only option. The boats are burning. Like James Franklin said, there's no turning back. This is this is the game right now. Win the week, win the day, and win the response for Vanderbilt. If you're Coach Lee and the staff, and I think they do it. I think Vanderbilt gets it done, 21-13, uh, behind a solid performance from Ken, and he uh, grabs some confidence heading into SEC play. I think we see this game playing out very differently. <laughs> I, I think that that could be a good this, thing. This is the first time that I think that just this the flow of the game we're seeing play out very differently um and just because we we don't really know which sides of these teams are worse in in all honesty and that's that's a blunt way to say it we're going to find out on saturday are the defenses worse and they're the real issue or or are the offenses worse because if we see your score we know the offenses are the problem and that's why both of these teams are so bad but that being said i think we're going to find out that the defenses at least for vanderbilt and uconn are the issue I, I think that Vanderbilt's going to be able to move the ball like they did against Stanford in that first, what, 28 minutes yep. of the game. I think they'll be able to do that for a majority of the game. Um, I think that they'll be able to run the ball a lot better than we've seen, and the offensive line is going to play a lot better than we've seen. So I actually have Vanderbilt 35 to UConn 20. Wow. Uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll shoot Vanderbilt's, out in Nashville. Yeah. Yeah, I was going with 34 to 20, but I really, really want them to cover uh, what that line has actually moved out to from 13 and a half to 14 and a half. So that being said, I really see it 34 to 20, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have them cover the spread and, and move yeah. it up to 35 to 20. I don't know if anyone's going to touch this game in Vegas. Like, I don't know if there's going to be a single bet placed on this game. I don't even know. It, no, there there was a lot of money that came in on Vanderbilt because that line opened up at minus 13 and a half and which very quickly I, I, moved across hate, the books to 14 and a half, it. which I said it should have been set on. I would like to point out if anybody's <laughs> listening, any bookmaker wants to wants to hire me. I said that you would get fifty percent of the money on either side if you set it at fourteen and a half. 
and that's what it moved. And that's out what to. happened. So, yeah. Yeah. There credit, we go. credit to you, Will Byron, for that. <laughs> uh, you'll have a job in Vegas. They'll be calling you soon. Um, but yeah, I was initially kind of surprised by the line, but we'll see if Vanderbilt covers. Um, and apparently, a lot of the money coming in on the doors. We'll see about that. Again, Vanderbilt, UConn, six thirty Central Time kickoff on ESPNU, also on ninety three point three FM in Nashville. Coming up, we've got Adam Giardino, the voice of the Huskies. He uh, helped us dive into UConn and what we can expect from them, their quarterback situation, and and how crazy it's been being their broadcaster this season. So uh, we'll we'll, uh, we'll be joined by Adam Giardino here uh, on the Door Report. Before we get to the interview with Adam Giardino, the voice of the UConn Huskies, it's time now to send it over to Gary Scales for a few words on our presenting sponsor, Alaco Fine Wood Floors. No matter what style you're going for, you can trust your flowing job to Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Take a walk through the woods in your home every day. Get your flooring job started today by calling 615-356-0303. Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Craftsmanship you can stand on. Welcome back into the Door Report. I'm Billy Derrick, and I'm now happy to be joined by Adam Giardino, the voice of the Yukon Huskies on the IMG Radio Network, part of uh, that family of networks, of course, all across America. And he is looking forward to this Saturday night's broadcast between the Yukon Huskies and the Vanderbilt Commodores making the trip down uh, here to Nashville. Adam, thanks for taking the time. How you doing? We're doing well. And uh, we've got a, a fun non-conference. I mean, we're independent now, so the whole thing's non-conference. But we got a fun <laughs> schedule, and we definitely had Nashville circled on the calendar at the start of the year. So we, we head down. Friday, as we record this, that's tomorrow, um, and just can't wait to uh, to get down and enjoy a nice outdoor dinner somewhere. Yeah, is this your first trip to Nashville? It is not. It will be my okay. third. I had come okay. down for the baseball winter meetings before, and uh, when UConn, we played at Memphis a couple years ago, and I made a whole weekend out of it and spent a night in Memphis, drove over, and did a couple nights in Nashville. So you know what's good uh, in Nashville. You know where to go. Uh, we uh, let's start here. Um, UConn has had an interesting season, Adam, and and you know it all started after uh, you know the the first game. Am, am I wrong here? Randy Edsel, you know, announced his retirement um, after that loss to Fresno State, and um, you know it's kind of something where you look at it and you say, wow, how you know how how difficult it must be for the players, how difficult it must be for um, you know the program as a whole, but. The way they have responded, especially last weekend um, in a close two-point loss to Wyoming, a pretty good team. Um, first off, have you ever seen a season quite like this? And, you know, do you think the interim head coach has kind of ignited some sort of life right now? Yeah, so the the whole firing and retiring, announcing the retirement for, for Vanderbilt fans who wouldn't be familiar, the, they lost the season opener 45 nothing against Fresno. They had the fewest offensive yards in program history as an FBS team, so the offense was abysmal. And then from there, lost 28-24, uh, rather 38-28, lost by 10 points to Holy Cross, which is mm-hmm. a FCS school just down the road. Uh, again, Vanderbilt fans might be a little familiar with that taste this year. Yep. <laughs> they're, they're go around against East Tennessee State, but uh, it was really at that point that Randy Edsel told the team that he was retiring at the end of the season, and then that was hastened, whether it was the athletic director, David Benedict, making the proclamation of, nope, you're done now, or whether it was a mutual agreement. However it was, Randy coached two games, thought he was going to coach the rest, and um, – Basically, it was determined that he wouldn't. 
Buspanos is a high energy defensive coordinator. He had spent time in the NFL, a ton of experience. Um, you know, he's when he's talking about press conferences and he's comparing the UConn quarterback, Tyler Kumachan to Cordell Stewart, when Cordell Stewart was first coming up with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the kind of point of reference that, that Spanos has um, in his time working with the Pittsburgh Steelers under Dick LeBeau and Bill Cowers. So mm -hmm. uh, Lou is 50 something going on 18. He said in his press conference this week and the, <laughs> the kids love playing for him. So that's where the, that's where things stand in terms of the whole, the coaching carousel last week was the best effort of the season. It was a two point conversion with four seconds left that failed that would have otherwise forced overtime against a previously undefeated three and Wyoming team that came in as a 31 and a half point favorite. So UConn didn't trail in that game until the second half allowed 21 straight points and then drove down and scored a touchdown that gave them a chance to tie it um, with four seconds left. They didn't do that, but I think that is why you see the line this week get about two touchdowns instead of for us used to be, you know, 28 to 35 points somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. So uh, things are trending in the right direction, but um, you know, as far as UConn's concerned, that bubble could pop, that optimism could pop with another bad performance this week. The fan base is hopeful that things are heading in the right direction, but we also know as a, a program that we're going down and playing an SEC school on the road that has a win on the road yourself against Colorado State. So, um, and UConn doesn't have that kind of win yet under its belt. Yeah, it's kind of a unique situation looking at these two teams. You, you kind of look at UConn and Vanderbilt and, and similar sort of trajectory here in the past couple or few seasons. Of course, UConn didn't have a, a season last year, but, um, you know, these teams are just, they're looking for any sort of momentum they can uh, and, and kind of signs of life, signs of improvement this season. So how would you describe where this, this UConn team is right now? And, and how would you describe the morale heading into a road matchup uh, against an SEC team? I think the morale is as high as it's been in the last four years, frankly. And I've been around this program. I'm an, I'm an alum. I graduated in 2011. So when I was a part of the student radio station, I've been around the program and now back in a professional capacity since 2018. And um, this is a program that since the start of 2018, it's been a constant rebuild under the return of Randy Edsel. He left the program after taking them to the Fiesta Bowl in 2011. And he came back and hoped to rejuvenate it. And the team and the fan base and the athletic department has been giving him time to bring in his recruits and the fruits of those labors never really materialized. So in terms of where the program is, I think right now they're in an optimistic stage because as you guys know that when there is a coaching change and it seems inevitable that there will be, I don't necessarily know whether Lou Spanos is going to be the guy that's running this team next year. Um, Maybe he is, uh, you know, maybe they pull out a handful of wins down the stretch and the athletic department decides, yep, this is our guy. But I think right now there is optimism among the fan base, but there's also a wonder of which of these players right now are playing because they are trying to stay here and which of these are playing for that quote unquote free agent contract in the transfer portal. And, uh, you know, there's going to be, uh, as well as this team can play down the stretch, there are going to be players that, fans will be disappointed to see go that have a handful of years left of eligibility. So as optimistic and exciting, excited as this fan base might be after last week, I think there's also tempered expectations about which of these players are, are going to stick around to be part of next year's team as well. Yeah. I want to go here now. And we love to talk about the quarterback position, uh, you know, at every level of football and and what can you tell us about the UConn quarterback situation because I've heard they've they've played two three guys this season and and so 
Uh, what, what can you tell us about that spot heading into this Vanderbilt matchup? Yeah, it's Zach Zergiotis that uh, started the opener, and then you had Steven Krajewski, and those two guys just didn't put up the numbers. And so when Randy Edsel left the left and um, head coach Luz Fanos took over, he decided to go with a freshman. And uh, Tyler Pumachan, he's a, a freshman. He's a local kid um, from Avon Old Farms High School here in Connecticut. And his older brother was a top five quarterback recruit in the country. He's the backup quarterback down at Clemson. Um, And so, yeah. And so there's a pedigree there. His brother is 6'2", 6'3", 225 pounds. And Tyler is about 5'10". And so I think that's the five inches of difference and 40 pounds of muscle mass between whether you go to Clemson or whether you get an offer in state. And um, so I think for that reason, I'm optimistic about what he can bring. And in just two games, there are things that he have he has done that UConn fans hadn't seen since 2018, when they had a, a really athletic quarterback in David Tindell, who was top three in the, the country in rushing yards by a quarterback. And so while we haven't seen the top flight speed yet from Pumachan and, um, you know, his decision making is still that of a, a freshman who's playing in his third career game but there are flashes where you see him do things that even if they don't blow you away as a UConn fan with the expectations of what we've seen from UConn quarterbacks the last handful of years even in his third game coming up this week he's already shown some things more than any quarterback has in a UConn uniform since 2018. I want to go kind of broad now here and look at the strengths and weaknesses of this UConn team and and you know so far through this season of course they gave up a lot of points to Fresno State that week one but uh, as a defense, it seems like they're trending in the right direction. So um, how would you describe this team's strengths? And then what are some of the uh, the weaknesses they need to clean up? Yeah, I think everything is trending in the right direction if you count last week as a one-week trend. And, you know, the reality, the reality is, is that the team lost 38-28 against an FCS school, giving up 38 points to a team that a week later, Holy Cross, if your fans down in Nashville have heard of Holy Cross, maybe as a division one basketball program, at least they probably wouldn't have then heard of Merrimack who Holy Cross lost to the next week by 10. <laughs> so it's not as if this is a Holy Cross team. That's going to be competing for a top 12, top 10 ranking right. in FCS this year. I mean, this is a Holy Cross team that was flawed. They still put up 38 points against UConn. Um, but last week was, and we'll try not to bog you down with too many numbers, but since 2018, Last week was just the second time in 40-ish games that UConn hadn't given up a 30-yard play in a game. And wow. it just it felt like week after week after week, there was a 50, 60, 70-yard play that UConn's defense was giving up. Last week, that didn't happen. Um, so I think for the defense, that's what's trending in the right direction is that it they seem to be communicating a little bit better. They're not giving up huge plays forced a couple of turnovers, which is something we haven't seen from the defense. Um, So, you know, that's great. And then the opposite side is true that against FBS schools, UConn was outscored 132 to nothing in its first 10 quarters of the year. Um, You know, you guys are coming off 62 nothing. So (laughs) again, it's just one of those things coming into this weekend where UConn's feeling optimistic, but Again, they also know the opponent that they're going up against is a, a, a tried SEC school. Right. Yeah. For Vanderbilt, you know, we like to talk about which team needs it more a lot of times. And, you know, I think you could argue that that both these teams, what a win would do. I'm not saying this win would, you know, elevate UConn or Vanderbilt into the respectability of, of you know, FBS, but 
um, you know, it would kind of get them moving faster, I guess, on the right track and, and kind of, especially for Vanderbilt moving forward um, in SEC play. So uh, I like to ask this, I asked this, uh, the, the Vanderbilt uh, Colorado state game when we had uh, one of their writers on. So, which one is this more important for? And I know, you know, you're probably going to say UConn. I'm probably going to say Vandy. But realistically, you know, who do you think this game, you know, means more for and why? Well, I'm going to try and convince you that it's UConn. So here's Here the reason go. why. At 0-5, again, since the start of 2018, UConn has had three wins. One was against Rhode Island, a non-FBS school. Wagner, a non-FBS school. And UMass, which is a team that just moved below us into the ESPN bottom 10. So now UMass is the 130th best team in the country and we're 129. So <laughs> that to me, you know, those, and those three games that they've won since the start of 2018 are games that they were actually favored in. Um, so I just feel like this program needs a win over an opponent that they're not favored against. And after this week's game, UConn plays UMass and Yale. So the thought is, is, okay, they beat Vanderbilt. This could turn into a three-game win streak, which I think would do wonders for the program. Um, I think the, the optimism of even if they lose this week, they would still win two more games and kind of get the ship straight. Yes, but I think a three-game win streak with a road win against a Vanderbilt, I think that there's you know, that could make you competitive down the stretch against a mid-Tennessee state who we have left on our schedule. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I think that the snowball starting this week instead of starting next week would be a huge, huge difference. And that is why I'm convincing you UConn needs it more this week. That's pretty good. That's pretty good right there. I want to ask you about Vanderbilt right now and, and kind of the, the on film, when you throw the pop, the film in, uh, who are some guys offensively or defensively that, that, uh, uh, interim head coach Lou Spanos is, is sitting there saying, hey, these guys could cause some problems. You know, I think it's the fact that there is a multiple headed monster at running back. Um, even if you guys might not consider it a monster, just being able to have that depth and have a Davis, a Griffin Jr., a Mike Wright, who've all been able to go for, you know, 200, 100 yards, whatever it may be this year, um, because it's depth that seems to stymie UConn's defense. Last week against Wyoming, they sort of just had their top guys, and UConn's rush defense frustrated Wyoming in the first half. Um, Wyoming eventually broke through in the fourth quarter, but against the Army Black Knights, for instance, they absolutely ran all over. And obviously, they have a triple op option offense, but um, Army ran for almost 300 yards in the first half, and that wow. was just because they were able to rotate – three, four, five different running backs and quarterbacks and keep guys fresh. And so that to me is if you guys are, are able to not just work the hot hand, but keep multiple hands hot in the backfield. I think that's where Vanderbilt can have a real advantage against a UConn defense that if you let them get confident, they'll get it. But they, they also, it seems like things start to pile up if there's a, a little bit of doubt that creeps in their mind. Yeah. I got a couple more here. I want before we get to your prediction, I want to ask you uh, an interesting question Heading into this matchup, a lot of people are, you know, tabbing it as, as, you know, kind of a game that people will watch, but, but they're, you know, they're watching because it's Vandy and UConn and it's on ESPNU and, and, you know, it's, it's not the most appealing matchup, but I want to give you the opportunity. Why should a, a normal college football fan tune in to Vandy UConn Saturday night? It's going to be close. I think I, I truly believe it's going to be a close game at the half. Um, you know, if you're watching ESPN, ESPN two, 
and it's a blowout, you, you logically flip to the next channel and I think you're going to get a close game. Um, and I, I think that for the casual college football fan, I think there is something interesting about turning on a game that's got a team that's teams that are combined one and eight, uh, <laughs> the close games, see who's going to pull it out. And uh, for that matter, I think if you're flipping through and you see it and it's one and eight uh, combined, you also think you might see something just totally wacky at the end of the game <laughs> as well, where a team makes a, a mistake that a more polished team wouldn't. So, you know, the, the element of the unexpected, I think is, uh, is a potential selling point to tune in on, on uh, Saturday night. I think this game could be trending on Twitter for many reasons. Uh, Cause you could get some crazy stuff. Well, Adam, uh, let's get to your prediction. Uh, we like to do this with, uh, again, if, if you, uh, if this isn't allowed or anything, you can say that, but uh, your prediction Saturday night. So it's a 14 and a half point spread. Um, at least right now, as we record this, um, mm -hmm. I think one guy that I haven't mentioned for UConn is their field goal kicker was an Under Armour All-American. UConn was, wow. on his, was on his recruiting trail super early as a freshman, and they just never quit. And he <laughs> likes the academics. He's from Texas. And he is just, he, he could be the difference maker in a close game. And he was great um, against Wyoming, totally cool under pressure the first time they'd called upon him. Um, so you know what? For, for that reason, let's do a little math. How about... 1917 UConn with the wow. win over Vanderbilt. How about that? Bunch of field that? goals from Joe McFadden. He kicks four field goals and an extra point as part of a 1916 victory. Wow. I, I'll say this. Joseph Bolivis, Vanderbilt's kicker, has quite the leg, too. It could turn, it, could turn into a kicking fest. Who knows? Uh, in yeah. Nashville. Adam, thanks again for joining uh, today. Good luck with your coverage and uh, have fun in Nashville this weekend. Thank you very much, Billy. Appreciate it. Well, that does it for episode 111 here of The Door Report. Big thanks to today's special guest, Adam Giardino, the voice of the Yukon Huskies, as he prepares for his trip down to Nashville in his broadcast Saturday night. Obviously, it's been an interesting season for him. It was great to get a perspective from him on what it's been like to call the, the Yukon Huskies football games this season. For myself, Billy Derrick, Will Byram, and Adam Giardino, you've been listening to episode 111 of the Door Report, powered by Alaco Fine Wood Floors.